James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. Some... He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos's very own The Bird Rights Podcast. However, as you guys know, we are doing um, joint episodes, crossover episodes, if you will, with Corbin Ford from the Round Ball Ramble Podcast, another Sports Ethos production. So you will hear us on both of our feeds. Corbin, how are you doing today? I'm muted, muted, so I'm on classic Corbin form. But I'm doing great, Stephen. Um, happy to be here, like you said. Crossover time's great. Having guests on top of that's even better. And we're talking basketball and trades. What's better than that? Yep. And as you guys know, Corbin and me did do our introduction to the mock trade deadline, how that exercise works. We have 30 participants. Obviously, every participant's representing one team, mostly teams that they follow closely. We have a lot of bead writers. We have a lot of fans representing those teams. Then we have general NBA media, some salary cap experts taking over the leftover teams. So we are happy to present our first guest of this installment. We have Logan Alton, who is representing the very own Minnesota Timberwolves. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Logan, go follow him on Twitter at LAltonNBA. That's L-A-L-T-E-N-N-B-A. Logan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how are you guys? We're doing well. Um, yep. As we talked about in our first segments, very busy time of year, Corbin is one of my right-hand men with this exercise. And as we talked about, I'm involved in every negotiation going on in Discord. So this is, you know, just about a full-time job for me. And again, I'm not complaining about it, but it's definitely the busy time of year for me and the aspect of all the front office stuff going on. So let me see. Logan actually is the one who got us kicked off in the mock trade deadline. He was involved in both of the first two trades. and. Logan, as I said, is representing the Minnesota Timberwolves. And last episode, Corbin and I talked about how Minnesota, along with maybe the Atlanta Hawks, were two teams that might have made a trade too early to try to get into the top tier of competitors. And it really hasn't worked out that well, as opposed to like the Cleveland Cavaliers when they trade for Donovan Mitchell. Seems to be working out a lot better. So, Logan, before we get into the trades that you made, what did you want to accomplish as Minnesota coming into this exercise, given I know what I think they're on like a five game win streak now. So maybe things are starting to turn around. Carl Anthony Towns should be coming back soon. But overall, what do you think you wanted to accomplish as Minnesota? And does that mirror what you think Minnesota should be doing in real life at the deadline? Yeah. So, um, First off, it, I think they're only on a two-game win streak because they're a meme of a team and lost to Detroit. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I totally agree that they kind of pushed their chips in a little too early and maybe for the wrong type of player. But um, what I was trying to accomplish is do what I think they would do rather than do what I would want to do. Um, and that's kind of free up salary flexibility, get, like – 
assets that aren't going to expire, you they're going to have their books tied up. So um, some of these guys that are going to be eligible for a pay date, you may want to reshuffle the deck, either get a like pick or a player that has more years left on their deals. That way there's not the tough decision of should we pay fringe player X or should we let them walk? How do we replace them then? And so on. Um, versus what I would have done is probably trade one of the centers. <laughs> uh, even though one of them isn't eligible to be traded, which yeah. is Carl Anthony Towns. And Cat's interesting. Again, I, I don't want to spend all the time talking about the possibility of Cat getting traded, but you just gave a full unprotected first for Gobert. If this season, if they end up as a playing team, it really wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden – you know, D'Angelo Russell is an expiring deal. If they let him walk, him and Cat have that close relationship, obviously. I don't know if it would shock me if Carl Anthony Towns is the next big star to request out. See, but I'm going to put oh. my tinfoil hat on real quick. Okay. I have okay. this conspiracy theory. Um, I think Tim Connolly acquired Rudy Gobert as an out to get out Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. And like it makes sense. Like you can't be this big GM that's coming in, and then be like, okay, I don't think Carl is necessarily a winner. I'm going to trade him because the fans would be outraged. But if he kind of shoots the team in the foot for a year, now it's way more plausible. Interesting. I, I, okay, look, I have to ask a question about that because on the one hand, like that's some masterclass thinking. I could totally see like an idea of that, but at the same time, like to just use up almost all your draft capital, you know, and put yourself in a spot where, I mean, this team, like, that's diabolical if, if it's we're thinking because this team is coming off of, you know, a really good playoff run, the first they've had in, what, four years? Um, the second they've games, had in, like, 15 the sec- Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, this momentum ant just going to explode. Like, people loving Cat, Cat embracing the fans after, you know, the tumultuous year and a half, two years that he's had. All of that, and I, I understood. I didn't like it at all, but I understood new GM splashing move, especially a guy you were associated with, whatever the case may be. But, like, if that is the case, which it could be, you know, a backdoor way of saying, hey, maybe you should leave and make it think it was your idea. But, like, why subject your fans to that? Oh, man, that's that's some galaxy-level villain stuff right there, Logan. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, like, it even makes sense of the overpay because if Rudy Gobert was properly valued in a trade, you, you could, in theory, be like, okay, Rudy's the problem. We are trading him and getting, you know, 90 cents on the dollar versus we paid, like, $8 on the dollar for Rudy. So you can't reasonably be like, okay, Rudy's not working. We're going to sell him for a quarter on the dollar now and like go get a Ben Simmons for Rudy Gobert instead. Cause that would just be a big loss and you would look so bad. But Cat, you can properly get value for Cat, like a uh, Trey Young. Kind of things for both things, both teams. I like that. Okay. Corbin, you have something to add? I have one last question. Yes, okay. I, I mean, just before we kind of move forward, I want to just stay stuck in the back just for a minute. Uh, there was talk, I guess, some rumor, I don't know how much truth there was to it, of a Minnesota's original trade target being a DeJounte Murray um, before Cat. I, I don't know if that was something that really had any traction or anything, but I do want to get your thoughts on that in this alternate universe that, you know, Conley doesn't uh, try to push Cat out. Do you think that that would have been a better fit with the Timberwolves in this – day and time or case in time, especially given how 
D'Angelo Ruff, Russell's been rather, I love the guy, but uneven over the last couple of years, to put it lightly. Yeah, um, he, DeMont, or DeJounte Murray would 100% be the better fit in every regard. One of the things that um, the team suffers the most from is just lacking a legitimate point guard, especially with Jordan McLaughlin out it. D'Angelo Russell is a great player in his own right, but he's more of a combo guard parading around as a point guard. And like you see the offense suffer when he, Jalen Noel or Anthony Edwards are running it rather than Kyle Anderson or Jordan McLaughlin are running it. Definitely get that. And the wing defense or the guard defense would be so, so upgraded. (laughs) Absolutely, for sure. Okay. Especially with Johnson shooting too. Uh, anyway, sorry. You're fine. So <laughs> I, I just want to again. Logan has made so far on the mock trade deadline two trades. Before up, my dog is trying to play after not wanting to play all day during <laughs> the podcast. But anyway, um, before I get into this two trades that Logan made, I just want to quickly talk about D'Angelo Russell because not only I already mentioned he's an expiring deal, but. And I know Minnesota has been experimenting recently with Anthony Edwards as the lead guard and the playmaker. And he's also been mixed, but I'm starting to think Minnesota's kind of prepping for that reality of, okay, we're going to let D'Angelo Russell walk because he's not worth what he's going to demand in free agency. So, you know, here, Anthony Edwards, you're going to be our play, our, initi- our initiator, our primary playmaker, whatever you want to call it. So... Logan, what, what do you think about the possibility of D'Angelo Russell even not being back or him being traded at the deadline to recoup some kind of value for him? And I'll give a little sneak peek. Logan has approached me in the mock trade deadline about Kyle Lowry. If you guys didn't listen to episode one, I am the Miami Heat. And I believe it was either Mark Stein or Yossi Goslin, who's another participant in our exercise. He said with Hoops Hype through Mike Scotto that that's a possibility that the Heat and Timberwolves have discussed a framework or it would make sense for them to discuss a framework of Kyle Lowry. So Miami avoids the tax given D'Angelo Russell's an expiring. So look, just what, what do you think the overall sentiment is? I mean, is you obviously approached me about a Kyle Lowry plus something small, plus a second round pick swap for D'Angelo Russell. Is that something you think that would make sense for Minnesota? Yeah. Um, just the overall deal of sentiment, like, I I think Minnesota is definitely getting ready to be without him, whether it is in a trade or it is um, letting him walk in free agency or via sign a trade. Um, but I, I think, like, last game, for example, Jalen Noel closed over him and that um, somebody closing in Delo's place is not all that rare nowadays. Okay. Um, but like, I think it was Stein actually reported earlier today as well that Minnesota isn't interested in Kyle Lowry, which is a, a bummer. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing between those two is Minnesota views Kyle Lowry as a salary dump because of that $30 million in 2023 24 versus the Miami Heat view him as. An asset, an equal value to D'Angelo Russell, essentially. Like, I'd imagine Miami probably came to the table with an offer of like a second, and then Minnesota came to the table with an offer of like a first, and maybe even like Yovich or something. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And as Miami, I've been, well, one, I believe the framework you came to me with was Lowry and Caleb Martin with the second round pick for D'Angelo Russell. It was something along that those lines. And my hesitation was, I'm already discussing Caleb Martin in a million trades, just because of the aspect that Miami doesn't really have that mid-tier salary to offer in all the trades. Duncan Robinson is unmovable. Nobody wants him. I'm most likely going to have to salary dump him if I move him. And Victor Oladipo has a one-year no-trade calls. So that brings everyone back to combining Caleb Martin and Dwayne Dedman to try to get that mid-tier salary to upgrade. So that's why, you know, I, I've been hesitant more than anything as Miami. But before I spoil too much, we still have plenty of time in this exercise. Everything's going to be up on sportsethos.com. We're going to have our own tab of the mock trade deadline with, you know, every negotiation, everything going on. I'm going to be doing plenty of write-ups. But Logan, let's get into the two trades you did make. You started off the whole exercise with the first trade on sometime last week. I think the first day we started it. You and Ez, who were representing the Raptors, basically did a swap of you traded Jalen Noel to Toronto for Malachi Flynn. And this one was interesting because, as you just said, Jalen Noel was in the closing lineup over D'Angelo Russell in the last game. I like Jalen Noel a lot, but putting my GM cap on, Minnesota very well could go into the tax. And I believe it was Keith Smith from Spotrack basically did a free agent series on how much guys he, how much he anticipates some of these upcoming free agents getting paid. I believe he had Jalen Noel in the eight to $10 million a year range. And Minnesota, again, tight with money. I'm not sure what they're going to be willing to pay Noel that kind of money. So is that along your lines of thinking that Malachi Flynn has an extra year on his rookie deal next year? So you don't have to pay him meanwhile. And maybe he could be the point guard because Noel is, more of a combo guard. He's not really a primary initiator. So maybe Malachi Flynn could be that backup point guard that if you lose Angelo Russell, I don't know. What was your line of thinking with that trade? Yeah. Um, there, there may have been an agenda. Uh, Jalen Noel can be fun to watch, can be a good player, mm-hmm. but he is tough to watch at times too. He he's another guy like D'Angelo Russell where the idea of him is dope. When he's hitting, he's fantastic. But when he's not, it, it can be painful. Um, So I'm surprised Keith said that uh, Noel's market was that high. I would have, I was surprised when I read that too. I would have guessed his market would have been like the taxpayer Emily. Um, But yeah, that is my way of thinking that like Noel is going to have to be paid. And I don't think Minnesota has the means or should have, should like think about it. Um, He's an unrestricted free agent too. There is a really good chance that when Jordan McLaughlin comes back, that the guard rotation is D'Lo or guard that we traded D'Lo for and Ant starting at the one and two. And then behind them is Jordan McLaughlin and Austin Rivers. Um, Or Jordan McLaughlin starts and guard X comes off the bench. I, I could reasonably see that. Jalen Noel is all the rotation. Similarly, I could see that Malachi Flynn is all the rotation, maybe even in Iowa, getting some reps in. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that extra guy under a contract who, in theory, has like a second round value is good because Minnesota needs those guys. They need to be able to have flexibility for trades. They need to, like, if draft time comes, 
and they have player X circled. Malachi Flynn is a good like starting bid for that guy. Mm-hmm. And then you can move from there. I'm just interested because I don't hate the move at all because I don't know if Jalen Noel is going to be worth that eight to ten million dollars that he's probably anticipating on getting per year. But I I can't see a scenario where Minnesota doesn't bring either him or D'Angelo Russell back next year. But it's not like either of them like a real I'm not saying they're not difference makers, but Clearly, Minnesota has both them right now, and they're a playing team. So I'm not sure how much bringing one of them back would even really help them. I guess it's just more bring back a playmaker who's a score-first point guard than anything because they at least know your system rather than relying too much on a Jordan McLaughlin or, in the scenario, Malachi Flynn. Yeah, I think uh, a GL and Noel is a dime a dozen, and you could reasonably – get one of them in like an early first early second I mean of a draft like um even going like if we went through free agent guards I would say that I have I could circle about 10 15 guys on the in the mid-level range that Minnesota could go grab and replace Jalen Noel with that would be like a better fit and more consistent player okay okay so then let's quickly talk about the second trade that you made. And again, you made the first two trades. You kind of came in, made a splash, and now at this point, you're just kind of evaluating the market and see what comes to you. But the second trade was another guy who's about to hit on restricted free agency, and that's Nas Reed, who has been really freaking good since Colin Anthony Towns has been out. Mm-hmm. But same thing, you said you want to get more cost-controlled guys, guys that won on expiring deals. Najid is expiring. And I did look at that article that Keith Smith posted on Spotrack. He at the time said Najid is probably going to be signing for six to eight mil annual value a year. And that was before he started playing really well. He honestly might have played himself into that Jalen Noel money, eight to 10 mil. That is wild. Yeah. I I don't know because the center, the backup center market or low end starting center market varies every year. I mean, we're seeing Andre Drummond play for minimums nowadays. So. I don't know. Nas Reed could very well get squeezed. But basically what you did was a Utah approach you for Nas Reed. You flipped Nas Reed to Utah along with the Knicks' second-round pick. So let's say a mid-seconds is going to be the Knicks' seconds. And you got a 2023 first that is the least favorable from Utah, the least favorable between Brooklyn, Houston, and the Sixers. So, I'm sorry, the least favorable between Brooklyn and Houston's first and the Sixers first. So, it's most likely going to end up being the Sixers of the next pick. Yeah. So, let's say you basically traded a mid-seconds and Nas Reed for a late first. And as I told you before we came on here, it's very reminiscent of what Masai Ujiri did last year when they traded with the Spurs to get Thad Young. They traded their seconds... Or they traded a first for a mid-second and Thad Young. So, essentially, they took Thad Young to move down 20 spots in the draft. You essentially did the same thing here. You moved up 20 spots in the draft by moving off in Nas Reed, who, again, is due for a payday, but given you already have Gobert and Katz, how much are realistically going to pay me? Or pay him. Pay me. Excuse me. Um, but I know you are a – well, I think you are a Nathan Knight guy. Is that correct? Yep, um, and Luca Garza has been fantastic. Too. Yeah, Garza, Garza has been, been very yep. solid. 
So was that just the same rationale as Noel? You were getting off the expiring deal and I, obviously you didn't bring anybody back with this deal. So it's not like you brought another cost control guy, but you moved up 20 spots in the draft. So you're going to get a guy on a rookie deal with it, as opposed to a mid second round pick that most likely wouldn't have even become anything because more oftentimes they're not second round picks don't even hit. So is that really the rationale that's bringing a cost controlled guy with the late first? So it will be a pretty relatively cheap rookie or deal. We'll get restricted rights on him at the end of the year. So if he works out, we have him for seven or eight years. For now, like, is this really the long-term vision that you had, or you just yeah. wanted to get off a guy you weren't going to be able to pay? Uh, basically, Nas Reed is an unrestricted free agent. Same with Jalen Noel. Um, they were both second – or Nas Reed was undrafted, and Jalen Noel was a second-round pick. And they did their four years, didn't get the restricted free agency in that third year because we accepted the team options. Um, and basically, why would Nas even consider coming back? And that, that's kind of where I was. Like, there's two star centers in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nas, he's either going to be playing all position, not get many minutes, um, and it just doesn't make sense to stay, even if, like, he gets a similar offer from whomever is, like, Minnesota versus, like, a Chicago team or what what have you. Dallas or something. Dallas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so – that that's basically like, can I get first for Nas Reed was what my way of thinking or a, like a player that is an upgrade that's cost controlled and fits long-term positionally. Like um, I used to think that like before the season, Peyton Pritchard would be a good option for Nas Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that type of swap or uh, Jalen McDaniels. Um, but since I was just approached with the first. I was like, yeah, that, that feels like a home run. I don't think Nas Reed would, unfortunately, fetch your first because you only have half a season with him now. And he's a, like, fringe starter, good backup caliber player, and usually you don't give that value up for them. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I guess I have a question. Between the two trades you made, I mean, obviously, big Minnesota fan, you know Nasri's value on this team. You just know the realistic logistical aspects of him being retained. But was it hard in this space, in this, like, constructed world of parting ways with the player that you may kind of be fond of, but are you just being more pragmatic in the sense of, hey, this is what needs to be done. It's going to happen in the road anyway, so let's just cut off early and get some assets recouped while we do. I kind of want to get your mindset in doing that because – uh, like, I agree. Like, I mean, Nasri's been, like, a fan favorite. He's been a guy who's played really well uh, in several games this season. I think you, well, you know better than I do. You know, the the Wolves flourish after, you know, when Cat's out or um, Gobert's in foul trouble. You bring Nas in at the center, and he's able to galvanize that starting lineup and, and bring that energy in just some crazy dunks, some good shots, that sort of aspect. So I guess I'm curious for a person making moves in mind of the actual team, is it hard to sometimes look, okay, like, I don't really want to do this, but, like, listen, we got to cut ties. I got to see if I can get something because I wish the front office would do this. Yeah, so I uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I, I did this not as how I would do mm-hmm. it, but as, as how I think the Timberwolves think would do it. Yeah. I think the Timberwolves would go that way. But me, myself, Nas Reed would be staying. I would be <laughs> – Trading one of the other centers. <laughs> you did say this, and I know, but when you, I guess when you said that Cat might be, like, that's what I thought was funny, though, because in my mind, like, 
I'm thinking if if the master play potentially is Cat being moved, even though it's not reality as of now, right? Did you consider like ripping the bandit off and doing it? Because I know you're, you're you're playing more realistic GM in this case, but if the GM, as as you like you said, the tin, the tinfoil hat is that they're eventually going to do this. Did you think? Well, let's just see what's up right now. Yeah, yeah. I it was really tough um, because like. I don't I didn't want to push too far into my conspiracy theories and like if you're getting a first for Nas Reed I think that's a home run um if the Timberwolves today came out and said they traded with like I don't think Milwaukee or Denver have their picks but like if they trade for like what's going to be the 29th to the 30th pick for Nas Reed I, I would still think that's a good deal um and I don't, I don't think it'd be like realistic to be like, yeah, Minnesota is going to keep Nas Reed. There, there was a report that came out yesterday. I think it was where um, they said that the sides weren't even close on extensions. And that makes sense because like, why would Nas stay? Why would he extend? Um, and yeah, the, differentiating the two. Cause like between you guys and me, there have been many a games where Nas Reed has outplayed Rudy Gobert. Yes, there has. Mm-hmm. And like he Easily. just fits better. He makes more sense. And like everybody has more chemistry. I think once a point guard comes along, Rudy's going to start shining. Once like some of these guys adapt more chemistry to Rudy, he's going to start shining. Like Kyle Anderson has slowly developed some really good chemistry with Rudy Gobert. Um, and like it's shown, it's, it's helped both of them play out better with each other. But, like, Anthony Edwards, he's still throwing it up into the front row rather than getting out Rudy Gobert on an alley-oop. Um, <laughs> and, like, that, that's been a really slow burn to get them to, like, figure out how to play with each other. But And D'Angelo Russell is fast, uh, giving him bounce passes, which are always turnovers, too. Um, but <laughs> Especially with his bad hands, because his hands are historically bad. If they're not, like, laid down right in his breadbasket. Like, he fumbles them, right? It's kind of crazy. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Um, but like once a point guard comes along, Rudy's going to be fine. Uh, but as of right now, if you, ha- if you gave me the choice of, and this is going to sound wild, but if you gave me the choice of Rudy Gobert being in the rotation or rolling with Nas Reed starting and Nate Knight or Luca Garza coming off the bench, I'm picking Nas Reed starting and Nate Knight or Luca coming off the bench. Because they all just make more sense. They all just fit. The, the team is better with them rather than Rudy. Wow. And I think a lot of that goes back to a quote we talked about on last episode of how important wing depth is. That, like, not to devalue centers, because, again, I'm a Sixers fan. I love Joel Embiid. I don't think the Sixers would be – they'd be a borderline playoff team without him, in my opinion. But – Again, there's so few Embiid's or Jokic's or even Colin Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. I know he isn't what he was in Utah quite yet, but I think that goes back to wings are so important, guards are so important, but centers are starting to be devalued a little bit. And maybe that does end up affecting Najreed's market this summer. We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I would say that like, it takes the right center to be valuable. Either you're like a Jokic or a Embiid, or you're one of those guys like Evan Mobley that he can he moves like a guard. Yeah, or guard Jeremy one Jackson. through five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those guys, they they're always going to have value. 
but the moving away a little bit from like the Mason Plumleys of the world have been like legit guys that you want to go out and get. Yeah. Okay. Well, this includes, this concludes, excuse me, <laughs> part one of, again, four mini episodes. We're going to combine into one for the mock trade deadline. This is part two, episode number two of the mock trade deadline preview and series. Mm-hmm. Anything that Logan will be doing, you guys will be able to find on the site by the end of this week on sportsethos.com. You will see what every participant is doing, what we're all negotiating. I'm going to make sure to update that as much as possible. Um, so yeah, Logan, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm basically just on Twitter now at L Alton NBA. Um, I may eventually dust off the writing. Um, there we go, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, if you definitely do, obviously we are looking forward to that and we'll make sure that we spread that because as I said in the discord a few days ago, I'm indebted to all of you for being willing to participate in this exercise and helping me make it what it was. And obviously Corbin, you know, that extends to you as well. And every other participant we're going to be having on. So, okay. We will be having Josh Earl on who is representing the Utah jazz in part two of the segment. So we will be getting right into that momentarily. Logan, again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Definitely. Next up, we now have, our resident Utah Jazz participant GM. His name is Josh Earl. You can follow him on Twitter at 2RedJEarl. That's the number two, R-E-D, like the color, J-U-R-L, like the website. You yep. are. So Corbin and I are with Josh. Josh was one of the few participants that kind of got to handpick his team that he wanted to be because we didn't have a Jazz beat writer, reporter, anybody lined up, and out of the remaining teams, Josh kind of wanted them. So I suppose my first question is why Utah? Why, why, out of all the teams that were – I mean, Corbin got Milwaukee – or Corbin got Brooklyn, Wojtek got Milwaukee, Sacramento was available. There were some intriguing teams. So yes. why, why did you want to go with Utah? Because I just thought Utah was in such a unique position. Like they – they're already exceeding expectations. They already have a surplus of picks. So uh, like they're already in a position right now where they can buy, they can sell, they can do absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're still on track for like their long-term plan. So I found that really intriguing, uh, especially in a kind of uh, simulation like this where, you know, I, I, I don't have to do anything, but I can be aggressive if I want to be. I can I can kind of sell or I can buy. Uh, it just presented the most intriguing set of options to me. So Josh has been just about, and Corbin, you probably agree with this, just about the most active participant so far in this exercise. Oh, Obviously, I'm in every negotiation, so I really know who's participating the most, but Josh has completed four trades already. So I, I would be surprised if Utah ended up at the actual deadline making that amount of trades. But again, the whole point of this exercise is to see realistically what could happen at the deadline, not what will happen, because what will happen is obviously impossible to predict. But I, I think Josh has done a phenomenal job of really honing in on what could happen. 
So, Josh, before we get into the four trades that you did make, mm-hmm. Corbin, you have no knowledge of this because I haven't shared mm-hmm. it with you yet. Okay. I want to talk about a negotiation that Josh, a trade offer that Josh presented that really didn't gain any traction. Mm-hmm. And it was your offer for OG and Inobi to Toronto. Yes. <laughs> you got shut down in Expectedly. Expectedly. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately you responded, would an extra first-round pick matter? Two minutes after that, no. Yeah. <laughs> so it took a combined six minutes for your offer of Jared Vanderbilt, Kelly Olynyk, Malik Beasley, two unpredicted first, an additional first, regardless of what you were going to offer, and Utah's 2023 top five protected first. So you were giving a full first, two of them unprotected, one top five protected, and Jared Vanderbilt, and another first, and Kelly Olenek and Malik Beasley for OG. And I don't know if I want to say rightfully so, as didn't entertain it. I'm going to ask him about it next week yeah. when <laughs> he comes on for Toronto. But he has no desire to move OG and Anobi. So. Yeah, I, I've, I've kind of figured that. Yeah. So I, 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 I wanted to kind of see how flexible he was on OG, because I do think... OG and Markinen together would be a very fun combo. They fit the same timeline. The like, I, I think that could be really interesting. And I honestly think OG might be one of, if not the best perimeter defenders in the league. And having him along with like Kessler on the back line, like, I, I think it could help Utah develop, uh, you know, a defensive edge that will help that rebuild go quicker. Like I said, I didn't really expect him to accept anything anyway. <laughs> but, you know, you got to shoot your shot. Yeah, and I, I believe it was Zach Lowe in the low post who was saying that, you know, don't be surprised if OG Ananobi goes for a mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell-type return. Yep. I think it's going to be closer to the DeJounte Murray return. Yeah. The main value, but yeah. you offer more than just about both of them. And it yeah. was still shot down. So, But I do think in real life, if... Ananobi is moved, which I think he could be because guys Possibly. usually have more trade value when there's an extra year on their deal than when they're on expiring. Mm. So if there's a time to move Ananobi at the time to move Siakam, it would be now for Toronto. Yes. So let's get into the trades you did make. Mm. We already talked with Logan previously, so the listeners already know the Nas Reed and a 2023 Knicks seconds for the first round pick that's the least favorable between Brooklyn, the Sixers, you whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You basically are moving down 20 spots in the draft to get Nasri, who's an expiring. Yeah. So uh, what's your rationale? Well, one, we think Nas hasn't really had the opportunity yet to, to really show what he can do in his starts. Uh, he's had, uh, I, I think he's averaged like 21 and 11 on like 61% shooting. So like the guy can play and he fits the same timeline that we're looking to establish around I'm marking in and Sexton and and uh, like Vanderbilt and stuff, and just feels like he would have a greater opportunity here, um, and I, I think he would fit in with what Hardy's trying to do as a coach, um, and really that that particular first that we sent is likely going to be mid to late twenties. So it's not even going to be like a significant first. We already have some 2023 draft capital earlier in the draft. So like we felt that the bird in the hand that is Nas Reed is better than, you know, whatever we might find in the bush at like 27th. Yeah. 
So that's fair. I, I I'm actually it's funny you mentioned that as far as Nasri kind of getting more opportunity in Utah not being. Uh, I don't want to say a distressed asset, but someone that hasn't had that chance to flourish in Minnesota. Because Logan did mention, like, hey, you know, he was trying to make this realistically, and he said, like, I would love to keep Nasri, but let's face it, he's behind Gobert, he's behind Cat, he's barely getting that time. Why would he want to stay past this contract anyway when there's other teams? And I brought up Dallas, like, or Utah is obviously another one that would have an opportunity to give him more of a featured role or give him really more of a a, a standard role than the one he's getting right now as a, you know, third big. Uh, So that's definitely interesting you say that. I guess kind of having had the luxury of talking to you for a couple of years now and knowing Mm. your approach to team building um, or some of it, you know, we talk about this (laughs) quite often. Um, When you saw this Utah Jazz team and you were looking at who they had in terms of competing players, where they are in the standings, when did, did you immediately go with the idea, okay, like we have a chance here to acquire some draft capital, some younger players that haven't been able to shine and really continue this rebuild? Were you thinking that as you went, like, went along with the negotiations, like, hey, we could actually go this direction? Like, when did you decide upon the, the direction that you went with? Because, I mean, for me, like, I'm still figuring out as someone negotiating the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I came into this with two targets. One was OG, and I knew I was going to get shot down on that one, but I was like, <laughs> I'm going to shoot my shot anyway. Uh, Kobe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the other one was Dyson Daniels, and I was going really hard for Dyson Daniels, but they preferred a, a different trade package for him. And so I, I just kind of wanted to identify ways I can upgrade without necessarily – you know, sacrificing too much in the near future while also, you know, enhancing the next couple of seasons. And like Naz Reed is what I call a uh, basketball orphan. Like he's kind of like, it's not the same front office that drafted him. Like he, he doesn't really have the favor of anybody who, who has power right now in, in Utah or, or in sorry in Minnesota uh, he does now in Utah but uh and so I just thought he would put up more production and he would be a more impactful player for us than he would on Minnesota and I only dropped back like uh Steven said like 20 24 picks and I already have draft capital in the tw- uh the first of the 2023 draft so it seemed like a no-brainer to me. And then some of the other options that came available, um, like I, I picked up another first, which we'll get into. Uh, I picked up a couple of veterans, and and I swapped out one of my youngest guys for a guy who's more in line age-wise with like marketing and stuff. Um, and they were all just kind of moves that I felt fit what I was trying to do just as a team and wouldn't like we're probably gonna at best hover around that play in anyway so like i I don't think it'll harm my chances of getting at least some play in money (laughs) but uh i I think it'll help us get set up better um long term both financially and um kind of going forward uh player wise i like it for sure for sure let's move on to the next trade and that was you swapping Ochai Baji, who just got in the Donovan Mitchell trade. Obviously, he was just 14th pick in the draft, came over from Cleveland in the Mitchell trade. Mm-hmm. You traded him to Indiana for Crystal Walter. 
Yes. Obviously, Duarte made all rookie second team last year. Mm-hmm. He is older. He's already 25 years old, given he was a super senior last year. Yep. yep. But Abaji isn't spring chicken either, for lack of a better term. He was a multiple year guy at Kansas. And you just said that, you know, he kind of fits the market and timeline better. So why Duarte over Abaji? Uh, I feel like Duarte is a more productive, impactful player right now mm-hmm. and in the next season or two. Um, and I think our rebuild is not going to take as long as some other rebuilds necessarily, um, at least to getting back into playoffs and, you know, having some degree of competitiveness, maybe not contention, but, you know, playoff competitiveness. Um, and I just felt like, okay, is not quite ready like he's had a couple of good games but i feel like it's gonna take a while before he becomes an actual consistent impactful uh rotation player for me whereas duarte can do that right now mm-hmm. and duarte's not getting much time in indiana yeah exactly he's it another kind of distressed asset who yeah. i think can soak up the the backup wing minutes um in Utah, have a, a cleaner, more consistent role, and hopefully get back to uh, more of that rookie uh, performance. Yeah, and my goal is to get Mark Schindler, who is representing the Pacers in this exercise, to come on and give us the other aspect of it, because it's yep. pretty rare. I know they were both, Duarte was 13th pick in the draft last mm. year, and Agbaji was 14th this year. Yeah, But it's rare to see a guy usually traded off an all-rookie performance just for mm. another... Similar type guy. Yeah. Um, the next trade you have, trade number three, you traded Garrett Temple, Jackson Hayes, and... I got those. Oh, guys. no, you got... Okay, yeah. I yeah. was going to say, I know you got... And a 2024 first-round pick. Yeah. More favorable Milwaukee and the Pelicans. So, again, late first, which is what mm-hmm. you already traded. So, you yeah. keep that late first. And, and I... I... I think I had very little 2024 draft capital beforehand. So yeah. it was a way to kind of add a pick in that some particular of that draft the next for year. a guy where, uh, and I sent out Kelly Olenek, who I think is going to be fantastic for the Pelicans. I, I think I that's agree. a great deal for Judy them Vignes as well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It gives them a lot more flexibility, especially when they have injuries to any of their front court players. It gives them a little more, that floor spacing of, uh, component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they can mix and match their front court a lot now. Um, so I I think it was a great trade for them. Uh, this was spun off of my attempt to get Dyson Daniels. Um, <laughs> and then uh, like Garrett Temple is a super quality veteran. Everyone loves Garrett Temple. He's not that expensive. He'd be a good like veteran locker room mentor. For, for my younger guys. And then Jackson Hayes was the only way the salary would work. Um, and we're going to get into that. Because yes. <laughs> you initially said that after you got Jackson Hayes, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't want him. The domestic violence, everything yeah, like that. I, I was going to wave him. Yeah, 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 I understand that sediments in the aspect of, you know, the Jazz are clearly building a culture. You don't want that type of yeah, High character and, people. Yeah. So anyway, I told you, hold off. Yeah, yeah. Jackson Hayes's mid-tier salary could be used in another deal. Yes, yes. I, I was, I was, yeah. Shockingly, the front office guy was right. Yeah, no, no. You, you had a good so, point. So then, this is the last trade we see. Um, 
You, for now. UBC for now, <laughs> yep. UBC, Chris Boucher, mm-hmm. who kind of replaces Kelly Olenek, except he can play yep. better. Exactly, yep. And Otto Porter Jr., who's obviously out for the year, but he has a player option, so he could either... And also uh, championship experience. Exactly. Veteran for presence. Jackson Hayes, and again, just for listeners at home, these trades couldn't be... Come, but these were two separate trades, because Jackson Hayes couldn't be aggregated since he was just acquired. So it's basically Jackson Hayes for Otto Porter and then Chris Boucher for Malik Beasley, essentially. Yep. And mm-hmm. yeah, so you have Boucher kind of replacing that Olenek role, except he could protect the rim a bit better. Then you're mm-hmm. bringing in Otto Porter for the veteran mentorship for at least the end of the year. Yep. Maybe he opts into that player option you have him next year. But you got off Jackson Hayes, who you didn't even want in mm-hmm. your locker room anyway. And Malik Beasley, interesting, because I do like Malik Beasley, and he's a guy who has been discussed in John Collins' negotiations because mm. the Jazz want him. So what do you think this was fair value, Boucher, for Malik Beasley, essentially? Or what was the rationale behind that? Uh, So Beasley has some other off-court stuff that I'm not a huge fan of uh, culturally. But um, the other thing, um, you got to give up some value to get some value. And I think Boucher provides... Not to the same degree as Olenek, but provide some spacing. I can play him alongside Kessler. I can play him alongside Vanderbilt and like be fairly okay uh, offensively. And, and defensively, uh, I, I think he just adds uh, – again, I kind of came into this wanting to create a little bit more of a de- defensive identity, mm-hmm. at least within the rotation. Uh, and I think, you know, Naz Reed – um, and Boucher should help with that. And, and Duarte is a solid defender uh, when he's healthy. Um, and, you know, I, I like the idea of Malik Beasley going to Toronto, too, because if they do trade uh, Gary Trent Jr., Malik Beasley can step right into minutes uh, and, and help provide some three-point shooting that they kind of really seriously need. Um, but Honestly, I, I, I just don't – while I like John Collins a lot as a player, I don't like him for what I would be trying to do if I were the Jazz. Mm-hmm. And I don't particularly like that fit with uh, Markin and Vanderbilt uh, and then like Kessler and Naz Reed. So I, I, I pivoted and, and thought, you know, Boucher would be a nice fit. And, and I, it wasn't until after this and I have another pending trade that I, that I realized uh, I grew up – in Eugene, Oregon. I grew up near the U of O campus. It's very familiar to me. And I didn't even realize I, I acquired two ducks. Oregon guys, yep. Yeah, I'm yeah. And, and one of my pending trades might include another one. Uh, none of that was intentional, but subconscious, man. It's powerful. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Gary Trent Jr. was moved. I know we're going to have Ez to come on and talk yes. about that, but I know you just mentioned, oh, if they do trade Gary Trent, then they have Malik Leak Beasley. So that yep. kind of gives some insight into Toronto's rationale. But mm-hmm. um, two more quick things. Do you want me to spoil the trade you're trying to get done for the third Oregon Duck? Or... I mean, maybe if it'll maybe if it'll grease the wheels. And uh, I've, been, I've been waiting for a response for a couple of days. I, I think it was probably a beyond fair offer, but... We'll we'll see. Okay. Well, Josh is trying to get Peyton Pritchard from the Celtics for it was some type of protected. It was a, a lotto protected twenty twenty five first. 
Because okay. I, so, I have three 2025 first. So. so what's the rationale behind that? I mean, you must be hiring pitcher to offer. So Mike Conley is literally the only point guard on my roster. Mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton can bring the ball up. But, not, but I wouldn't not call them. Yeah, they're not. They're exactly. not facilitators. Nikhil Alexander Walker should not be a facilitator. <laughs> like he doesn't know he's supposed either. to be a facilitator. That's yeah, my exactly. Guy, but yeah. So, um, given the kind of offense that that Hardy is trying to implement, I, I felt like Richard was the most available young point guard who kind of fits that timeline. He's actually a really good shooter, um, could fit really well within that offensive system. And I think, you know, could glean some knowledge from Conley. Um, and, and I think he would just fit right in and he played with Duarte. Like, I, I think they could have a nice little bench chemistry. And honestly, there aren't a whole lot of point guards a- a- available um, that, that you know, could potentially salary match and uh, aren't, you know, atrocious from three or have some other deficiency that wouldn't really make them fit with what I was trying to do. And from a real life perspective, Will Holiday obviously coached Peyton Pritchard last year. Danny Ainge drafted mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard. Yep. Mm-hmm. So just from a real life standpoint, I, I do think that's a good target for yeah. Utah. The ties are real there for mm-hmm. sure. Oh yeah. And I mean, he fits well and let's be real. He just got freed off of Boston's bench with the last stretch of game. So it's not like he was actually actively being used for the greater part, part of the season for Boston anyway. So mm-hmm. that is something to be sure. And once Jalen Brown gets back, his minutes are more than likely going to be reduced anyway. So definitely agree with you there. Um, my last question was, and I kind of feel like we're going to the answer, but as much as I love a good trade, I'm just really big on the ones that almost happened, <laughs> but just mm-hmm. didn't make it. So I want to give you a chance to kind of not even vent, but just share your thoughts on the oh, one you trade you were trying to do. I do. I do. <laughs> that fell through. And, and I, I guess this is the twist. Why do you think your offer wasn't as even? Do you think it was just a matter of the assets that the other team wanted that were better? Do you think you don't know? You're like, hey, I don't understand why that wasn't done. Is that still something that like six in your craw? No, I, I, I'm like, I, I'm I'm legit still a little peeved about it. But uh, and this is know, oh, for the record, the, the Dyson Daniels pursuit, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm just gonna lay it out there. Uh, <laughs> I I approached New Orleans. And I offered a, a combo of Kelly Olenek and one of Jordan Clarkson or Malik Beasley. Uh, and I think Leandro Bulmaro or um, Simone Fontecchio for salary matching purposes for basically all their bad contracts who are out of the rotation. So Devontae Graham, Jackson Hayes, uh, Garrett Temple. You notice I got two of them uh, <laughs> uh, and Dyson Daniels. I asked for no draft capital. I basically gift w- was trying to gift wrap them like a strong 10 man playoff rotation. And I was, and they, they were like, I just want Kelly Olenek. And I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, I respect that. Dyson's a really interesting player. That's why I was going for him. I could see why you want to keep him. And then the actual trade dropped like the next day. Um, and honestly, it's, it's just because that GM prefers, for for whatever reason personally i think my offer was better for a variety of reasons but of course the what matters is what that gm mm. thinks mm. and they believe that fred van vliet is the guy who's going to help them get to where they're trying to go and 
Uh, I, I know that trade has gotten a little heat, both in our I've gotten channel thousands of mentions on Twitter. Yes. yes, I'm getting like I'm getting borderline death threats. <laughs> this oh thing. no! Like it's, I, I saw you have the, to know there's that, like, a bounty out it. for me from the city yeah. of New Orleans for assembling this group of people, <laughs> and one of them would put Dyson Daniels in a fed. But we're having a Neil Long literally in yeah. two minutes, right after yeah, this, so yeah, you guys yeah. will hear it. And he's his got, rationale, he, but. Yeah. I love Emil. I'm very curious to hear this. Yeah, because yeah. I love the I guy, but what is he reveal his identity. Everyone's uh, like, who yeah. is it? We need to know who did this trade. He's such an idiot. And I was going to release the, um, like, the chart that I have of every stuff. participant. I'm like, I'm Take some heat like, off you. I'd have done it. Yeah, so, <laughs> but I'm, I'm holding up. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, oh, we're having a new one after there. this, so everyone will know sure they end one. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, but, you know, like, I, I can kind of get the rationale for him. If he does believe that Fred Van Vliet is kind of that additional piece that, that helps them the most, uh, they wouldn't be able to sign him in free agency. So making a trade to acquire him would give them bird rights. Like, I, I get it. The age old uh, my heart yeah, doesn't market. get it yet. <laughs> I still think Dyson Daniels would be just everyone. And, and I'll leave it on this. Just everyone picture Dyson Daniels mentored by Mike Conley and covering up for all the stuff that Sexton has trouble with. And then you have Daniels and Sexton in the backcourt long-term. That might be the ideal partner for Sexton. Mm -hmm. If you, if you do want to build around Sexton, which I'm, I can take it or leave it. Um, But so that, 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 that's where I'm coming from. I believe all the GMs are, are doing what they believe is best for, for their own teams. Uh, and, and everybody's been really um, kind of very kind and, and very um, forthcoming in all the negotiations. It's been a great experience. Uh, that's life. You don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Hopefully I get what I need. Uh, and, <laughs> You know, I, I, the other thing with these four trades so far, I've also saved Ryan Smith $4.7 million. Yes, you have. Mm. There you go. So you got the bottom line down pat, my friend. You do yeah, what you and, can. And we have the same amount of draft picks now. I just basically shifted one from this year to 2024, 20, which we didn't have. Um, you know, and, and we have some younger players. Naz Reed's going to start for us. Um mm-hmm. So, you did well, all things considered, Josh. I think you've had a very successful uh, mock trade deadline so far. I wish you continued success moving forward. Um, You know, listen, I'll take one of your prime assets for Royce O'Neal, make a reunion happen. (laughs) It's okay. That would be so funny to just like. Swap Royce back. But. Just do a friend swap. Where's Where's Royce Billy King? Royce would fit well him? on this jazz team. By oh way. yeah, no, he mm-hmm. would. Yeah, yeah. And all I want is a primo young asset, Colin Sexton. Let's get it. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll talk, buddy. We'll talk. We will. Let's do it. But <laughs> always fun, Josh. Okay. Thank you. So, Josh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for participating. As I said to Logan, I'm forever indebted to all 29 of you, and I hope you guys hold that against me because I've been reiterating it so much for, you know, participating in this exercise and making it what it is and what it's going to become even further. So as we said, you can follow Josh on Twitter at 2red, like the color, J, like the letter, URL, like the website. Yep. So if you guys have any questions, 
tweeted me at BirdRightsPod, tweeted Corbin at CorbinNBA, tweeted Josh, anything you guys need to know. We'll be happy to answer. We will be having O'Neal Gagna on next to be talking about his role as a Pelicans jam and why he traded Dyson Daniels in a trade for Van- Fred Van Vliet and why I'm sleeping with one eye open because of it. So, you guys will be hearing that momentarily. Josh, thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk to you guys in a couple minutes. Okay, we are here with the man of the hour of this podcast. Again, I'm grateful for all guests for coming on and participating and not only participating in the exercise, but taking the time to come on the podcast. But this is the man that everyone wants to hear from. It is the fictitious GM in this exercise of the New Orleans Pelicans. He is the director of strategy and cap specialist for Thread Sports Marketing and the co-founder of No Trade Clause. It is Anil Gogna, excuse me, you can follow him on Twitter at Anil Gagna NBA. That's A-N-I-L-G-O-G-N-A NBA. So, Anil, we talked about this a little bit previously when we had Josh on, but there's a bet I'm New Orleans most wanted for running this exercise where Dyson Daniels got traded to the Toronto Raptors. So I'm gonna pull up the full trade right here, but Overall, what do you think the or not do what do you think? What what was your rationale behind giving up a piece like Dyson Daniels? In addition, it was two first round picks, Dyson Daniels, and then what was it, Devontae Graham? Yeah, it was uh Fred Van Vliet, Delano Banton, and uh 2029 second round pick. For Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, Devontae Graham, Willie Hernan Gomez, two first-round picks. Uh, one, one is uh, the 2026 oh, first from the Milwaukee and New Orleans. Uh, it's a, one of the, the, the better of the two. And then the 2024, Ooh. not this year's, next year's uh, first-round pick from the Lakers, which is top five protected, um, which extinguishes if it's in the top five. And then the Chicago 2024 second-round pick. So it sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot of different assets. There's a couple of different ways uh, to to split this up and to to break this down. So the first thing I want to do is explain the value that we see in Fred Van Vliet. Okay. So there's a couple of priorities that we went in with being New Orleans, and I want to just ask everyone to just keep an open mind about this because obviously when you look at the trade, you're like, whoa, that's a lot. It is a lot. Okay. <laughs> first. <laughs> First things first, the first priority for New Orleans is staying under the luxury tax this year. New Orleans Pelicans franchise has never paid the luxury tax in their history. They will probably be paying the luxury tax starting next year, which is the first year that Zion's extension kicks in. But they don't want to go over the tax this season. Okay, so that was our first priority. Second priority, getting a big man uh, that we think could space the floor. That's why we did the trade with Kelly Olenek. Fine. The second or or the last priority was... If we can get a veteran point guard who can be a leader and help facilitate the offense, we wanted that. We have no player on the roster that averages even six assists per game. We have CJ McCollum that you could argue is a natural, maybe he's a natural shooting guard. When we look at the available point guards, we see Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and I'm talking removing like playoff teams contenders. So you got Fred Van Vliet, LaMelo Ball. He's not really available. Lonzo Ball, he's hurt. Westbrook, Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, D'Angelo Russell, Monte Morris, 
Markel Fultz, Kevin Porter Jr. Some of those guys are not really going to be available. Some of those guys aren't what you would classify as a leader, uh, ready to lead a team that's going into championship contention, okay? So now when we look at Fred VanVleet, we thought he was the best of the available point guards. And for me, in my opinion, Fred VanVleet is not a good defender. He's an elite defender despite his size, six foot one, 200 pounds. Just to give you an example of why I think he's an elite defender. Last year in a game against Minnesota, he forced 11 turnovers in one game. Two days later versus Orlando Magic, he forced nine turnovers. Fine, small sample size. Good, good defense, small sample size, right? If you don't agree with me, why don't you take a, a look at the votes for all defense last year? No. Last year, Fred Van Vliet was just shy of making the second team all defense. He was one spot away from making the team. He had two votes for first team, 37 votes for second team, total of 41 points. He had more point. Uh, he had more points than Draymond Green for making the all-defensive team. Draymond Green made the team, but based on position, you can only have so many guards. So if it was positionless, Fred Van Vliet was good enough to have been second-team all-defense. So from my opinion, Fred Van Vliet is an elite defender, okay? Now, let's look at the trade. The second point here is let's look at the trade differently. Now, if I told you that the trade was instead of everything that, that I had mentioned, which was, you know, Dyson and Najee and Devontae Graham and Willie Hernan Gomez, two first-round picks and a second. If the trade was just Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, and one first-round pick for Fred Van Vliet, I think that would be easier for people to digest. Not another, not another pick, not another second, maybe, maybe some of the other pieces. The thing is, that is the core of this trade. The core of this trade is Fred Vliet for Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, and one first-round pick. The reason it looks like it's so much is because there's multiple trades that are combined in one. First of all, Devontae Graham. Getting off of his contract was a huge priority. Mm-hmm. That alone costs a first-round pick. Najee, I'm sorry, Devontae Graham is costing... 12 million, 12.1 million dollars next season. Do you guys know what that will cost the New Orleans Pelicans if they're only over the luxury tax just by Devontae Graham's salary? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I could calculate it. But well, I'm not going to calculate it. <laughs> it's going to cost the franchise about 34 million dollars just next season to keep Devontae Graham on the mm-hmm. roster if they're only over the luxury tax by Devontae Graham's salary. $34 million. I'm pretty wow. sure they will want to get rid of that salary if they're going to be over the luxury tax. And the further they're into the luxury tax, the higher that number is going to go up because it escalates. Okay, so one of those first-round picks was just getting rid of Devontae Graham. Then there was a second-round pick. The second-round pick is a wash. We're giving away a first, a second-round pick. We're getting back a second-round pick. Okay, so now it comes down to Dyson Daniels, Najee Marshall, and one first-round pick. First of all, that first-round pick from the Lakers, it's top five protected. And if if it doesn't convey, it's going to extinguish. Well, next season, the Lakers, who own that, who's it's their pick, on their, uh, on their cap sheet, they basically just have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and that's it. They're going to be able to completely rebuild that team. So if you think that they're not going to be a playoff team, that's your perspective. From my perspective, they're going to be a playoff team. Considering they're going to be able to rebuild 
that roster. Westbrook's money is off the off the off the team. They still have their draft picks. Do you think that LeBron James is going to sign that extension to not be a playoff team again next year? That pick is not going to be a lottery pick next season. That's how I'm viewing it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think differently, so be it. Now, the next thing here is Najee Marshall, Dyson Daniels. Najee Marshall, next year there's a team option for him at $1.9 million. But if New Orleans actually wants to retain him, they're most likely going to decline that team option. He'll be restricted this offseason, and they're going to have to pay him a significant increase. Is that something they want to do if they're a tax team? Maybe not. Najee Marshall can be argued. Maybe he's their seventh, eighth, ninth best player. So that's up for debate. Now it comes down to Dyson Daniels. So Dyson Daniels, the, what people are getting frustrated about or you know, they're getting all worked up about is the potential. Dyson Daniels, you know, he was a first-round pick. He's only 19 years old. There's so much potential. Do you guys know how many number eight picks in the last 30 years made an all-star team? The last 30 years. What do you guys think? Specifically specifically number eight picks? Yeah, specifically number eight picks. I'm just going to throw a shot in the dark and say four. I'm going to say... Three. I remember two offhand, but like I don't remember TJ Ford making one. The answer and... is one. There is one number eight pick that made an all-star team in their career, and it was in 1993. It was Vin Baker. Vin so Baker the with last... the bot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. There are currently 63 active players in the NBA that have been all-stars. 29 of them are guards. Okay. Of those, only three active players averaged under five points per game in their first season and later became all-stars. I say this because Dyson Daniels is averaging under five points per game and he's playing about 19 minutes a game. So sure, you think, oh, he's going to be incredible. Only three players went on to become all-stars. They're Goran Dragic, DeJounte Murray, and guess who? Fred Van Vliet. Wow. Okay, that's it. Now let's explain it and say, what about all guards who average under 10 points per game? Okay, do you know... That would make it eight players that went on to become All-Stars. And the average time it took them to become All-Stars, seven seasons. If it took Dyson Daniels seven seasons to become an All-Star, he would be 26 years old. You would miss this current window. CJ McCollum, he'd be 37, 38 years old. Even if you look at Dyson Daniels per 36-minute stats, they are by far the worst of every player that has gone on to become an all-star. His per 36-minute stats, he's averaging 8.3 points per game. The next lowest of anyone else that went on to become an all-star was 12 points per game. So in my head, we're weighing the potential of Dyson Daniels. And we've seen potential many times, not amount. So sure, Dyson Daniels, 19 years old, really good. He might go on to become an all-star. Maybe it takes him what the average is, which is seven seasons. Guess what? We don't want to wait that long. Instead, we'd like a guy maybe who was an all-star last season, who was almost all NBA defense last season. Sure, Fred's having a little bit of a, a, a down start to the season. We're talking 30 games, okay? 30 games. We know that the Raptors' chemistry is not what it – what it normally is, that team is off. So we're going to kind of go in by low. Now, this, the other way I want you guys to look at this trade, 
is compare it to another trade that most people think was a really good trade of that, uh, a really good trade. The Milwaukee Bucks, when they traded for Drew Holiday, mm-hmm. do you guys think that that was a good trade or a bad trade? At the time, I remember going on my old podcast, The NBA Goal, and basically saying, this might go down as the worst, the biggest overpay in NBA history. It was desperate by Milwaukee. It was a desperate attempt to keep Giannis in town. But you know what? They won a championship. And so he's still in town. It, so, it, yeah. It, it worked out. And exactly. so I, I think I get the point that Neil's trying to make is, if the Pelicans win a championship, nobody's going to remember that they traded Dyson Daniels for Bainbleed. Exactly. Now, let me let me just break down what that trade was quickly, okay? Because yeah. I want to compare the two. The okay. summary of that trade is, yes, they were adding a final piece. It was a slight overpay. So, first of all, Milwaukee traded for Drew Holiday. He was on an expiring deal. Mm-hmm. Same with Fred VanVleet. It wasn't like he was. He had a long. He had a long like contract that they were they were trading for. He was in the final season. There was no assurance of an extension. They signed the extension with Drew Holiday five months after they traded for him. Drew Holiday at the time that they traded for him was thirty years old. Fred VanVleet is actually two years younger. He's twenty eight. Drew Holiday was a one time All Star when they traded for him. And that season that he was an all-star was eight years earlier. Mm -hmm. Fred also is a one-time all-star, but it was last year, not eight years ago. Mm. Now, what did Milwaukee give up when they acquired Drew Holiday? A 2025 first, a 2027 first, that's two firsts. They also gave up RJ Hampton, who was a 19-year-old rookie point guard that was a first-round pick. Sounds similar to Dyson Daniels. Fine, you can know what R.J. Hampton became, so you can easily, oh, Dyson is not R.J. Hampton. Fine, but I'm just telling you, he was Mm -hmm. a 19-year-old rookie point guard drafted the first round. Also in that trade, Milwaukee gave up George Hill. Also in that trade, Milwaukee gave up Eric Bledsoe. Now, when you compare those two trades, this trade doesn't seem that crazy. So in my opinion, we need to look at things in a different perspective when it's just stacked up all against it. Like, Oh my God, it was this and this and this and this split the trade up. Look at it differently. Take the bias out. That's my rationale for the trade. Wow. I'm convinced Corbin. What about you? Uh, listen, I am too. I, 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 I'm convinced. I still have a question, but I'm convinced as well because that was a really thorough breakdown. Um, and thank you for giving us that. Listen, yeah, I has, appreciate you putting yeah. the time into this exercise for us. Seriously, I, I guess my question is: when you look at it, how, especially as someone who evaluates deals, you know, you project with salary caps and you know roster spots. Like this is what you do when it comes to an exercise like this, with your experience, given what you kind of bring to the table there, how easy or difficult is it for you to look at a trade from the thorough kind of analysis that you gave it at the end of it with what it looks like on its face because so many people you know you get and a lot of it's reactionary media all of that like wow judge the deal boom and they don't take the time to really give it that context necessary so when you are approaching this deal in terms of valuation um in terms of proposing it how are you looking at in terms okay this looks crazy but hear me out or are you someone who like walks your way into it going okay we're in this position we need duck the salary cap which players fit that need that can give us that additional short-term boost like i want to get your thought process in manufacturing it um in real time uh because you gave an excellent breakdown of what it looks like as a result yeah so 
in, in real time, I went in and basically said, what do I think New Orleans needs? Now, a lot of people, to be, to be honest, a lot of people might think New Orleans doesn't really need anything. And that's, that, that might be the right, the, the right approach. And, you know, we're, we're in this exercise. If I just said, hey, listen, like, I think New Orleans is decent. I'm going to do nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah, sure, that's one way of approaching it. But I thought, let's have fun. Let's have fun with it and see what if New Orleans was going to do something, what would they do? Well, I think that they're more likely to say, let's go all in and see if we can win this thing. And so when you look at, well, what would they want to get? And you look at the available point guards, and I listed them out. There isn't a lot that's better than Fred Van Vliet. And now what you're actually seeing is articles are starting to come out. I have saw two articles in the last 24 hours about Fred Van Vliet. Where could he go? New Orleans Pelicans looks like a good destination. Mm-hmm. So that connection isn't that preposterous. Bodog has it on their betting odds as a potential landing destination for Fred Van Vliet is the New Orleans Pelicans. There's another site, Raptors Rapture, that I sent to Steven the other day. Mm-hmm. They had a proposed trade that was worse than the trade that I put here. They were including Dyson Daniels, two first-round picks, and also Trey Murphy. So Whoa. what I'm looking at, first of all, is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I'm looking at here is who else is available? Let's just say I don't get Fred Van Fleet. Am I looking for Westbrook, Mike Conley, D'Angelo Russell? Like, no, I don't really, I don't really think I want those players. I probably would prefer to slightly overpay. Now, keep in mind, New Orleans has a lot of assets. Can they, let's just say they overpaid this trade by one first round pick, which was the, the New Orleans slash Milwaukee first round pick. Okay, what do you think that pick is going to be between 20 and 30? So if that was the overpay, one first round pick, that's going to be somewhere between 20 and 30, fine. Crucify me, you know, kill me because that was the overpay to go all in, get a player that was borderline all defense, that was an all-star last year. You know what? Yeah, I think that's worth it. And the, the season that Milwaukee, when they made that trade to get Drew Holiday, the season before, they weren't in the finals. They weren't even in the conference finals. They had won one game in the second round. They lost to Miami 4-1. to one. That was the season they were coming off of. So, like, there's a certain time when teams need to figure out, okay, are we going to push our chips in? Are we not going to push our chips in? When I look at the position that New Orleans is in, I was like, it makes sense. that You have tons of assets at some point you're going to need to cash these assets in or you sit on them and you wait and you wait and some of these some of these players they just don't hit that potential so you can wait but not everyone's going to hit that potential so you got to make a judgment call you can look at um golden state right now and think man maybe they should have traded wiseman two years ago because right now what you're going to get for wiseman is not the same but two years ago, people would have said, Golden State's crazy if they trade Wiseman. Look at all that potential. Yeah. You'll get killed if you always keep chasing potential. Wow. I love it. I'm sold. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> I'm the lawyer in this chat, and I'm I, he made a solid argument. So case closed. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Neil, one last thing before you go. I do I know we already talked about the Kelly Olinick swap with Josh because he was Utah. So just give us, you know, 30, 45 seconds. 
Is yeah. it just really you wanted the shooting next to Zion? You gave up a 2024 first-round pick, the more favorable of Milwaukee and the Pelicans, with Garrett Temple Jackson Hayes, I know that's your sal- expiring salary filler, for exactly. Kelly Olenek. So what's your rationale? Yes. So the two players, not rotation players, just salary filler. Uh, again, after this exercise, I'm within a, a few hundred thousand dollars of the luxury tax. So I knew I needed to get rid of them later. Um, so it's basically a first round pick, which is my Milwaukee or New Orleans 2024 first round pick, which I project to be not a great first round pick for Kelly Olenek. What I like about Kelly Olenek, he's the 20th best three point shooter this season. I like him being able to spread the floor, gives us a different look on offense. He's one and a half years removed from averaging 19 points a game, eight and a half rebounds, four assists a game when he played with Houston in 2020-2021. So yeah, I just think Kelly Olenek, smart player, fantastic shooter. I like that we can switch it up. You know, Jonas is a nice threat inside. Kelly can be a nice threat outside, just gives us some options. So that was what I thought uh, with Kelly Olenek. There was a couple other, you know, available options, um, but I, I liked Kelly Olenek um, as, as for what we got. Yeah, I think it's a nice match as well. A versatile big, you kind of recreate to a lesser extent the Nikola Mirotic kind of balance that you have with AD in terms of that guy who can bring some veteran leadership but also open up the floor, you know, a lot of pick and pop. I, I like the balance there for sure. And, I mean, what didn't cost a whole lot either. And you're right, as a contending team, I mean, you've really kind of shored up some positions of weakness yeah. for this Pelican squad, saved some money in the process. I mean, yeah, on his face, you're like, whoa, knee-jerk reaction. What just happened? But when you really delve into it, like you brought out, it, it makes a lot of sense, and I think the team is better built for it. Yeah. Um, the only other concern I would have, and again, I don't want to spend, we already took enough time. I don't want this podcast being over two hours, but I'm interested <laughs> to see how, one, if Van Vliet would even resign with New Orleans, if, you know, an actual trade came to fruition, that's, you know, impossible for any of us to predict, really. Maybe, obviously, in this exercise, we don't have those handshake agreements with the players' agents that transpire in real life. So, we don't know. And I'm interested to see how the small backcourt of Van Vliet and McCollum would you know, transpire. I know Donovan Mitchell and Darius Collins working out okay because they have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in their back line. The Pelicans, sure, Van Vliet's a better defender than any of those guys by a significant margin, but he doesn't really have, you know, those type of guys behind him to make up for either a CJ McCollum mistake or just having two small guards in general off the court at the same time. Um, do either of you have anything to add? Um. I have one last thing. Are you? Oh, sorry. Well, actually, I'm gonna let the guests of honor go first. Obviously. No, no. Just to say, it's a fair, it's a fair point that you, that you made about um, Fred VanVleet's fit, whether he signs an extension. Obviously, you know, if that was an an available option in this exercise, we would have figured out is he going to to uh, sign an extension or not. When we looked at the teams that have cap space, really the only uh, playoff contending threat that has a lot of money available uh, was was the Lakers. And I just think that they're going to go big whale hunting. I don't think that, you know, they're going to spend the majority of their money chasing a Fred Van Vliet. I think that they're probably going to go look for a third superstar caliber player. So um, we felt like, you know what, under, under the parameters of this exercise, we're willing to take that risk. Definitely. Uh, I guess my, my response, I think that that I like in terms of, I think that he would probably resign. Of course, the money, right. And you already made that agreement. I guess my last question is, well, next to last question is, was there a thought of the potential long-term fit between 
your backcourt now being, I mean, offensively, definitely like it. You know, both guys can play on ball, both guys can play off, but being undersized um, for their respective positions, I guess, um, being a little bit older. I mean, you know, Fred Van Lee's still in his 20s, but not a young guy by any stretch. I think he's age 28 season right now. And if you're locking him long term and you already have CJ locked up long term, then you have to balance that. Um, What was the thought given to that and the rationale that this would work despite the issues that might occur because of that? Yeah, I just think that if Fred Van Vliet is your fourth best player behind Zion, CJ, Brandon Ingram, you're asking him to do a lot less. You know, uh, he's he is a solid defender individually. The average size of the point guard in, in uh, the NBA is between six feet and six foot three, and Fred Van Vliet's listed at six foot one. So you know what? Yeah, he obviously. He looks he looks small. I mean, I'm just going by what's listed. Maybe he's shorter in real life because you know what? Uh, he looks shorter. But I'm going by what's listed. He's, he's listed at six foot one. And sure, there's going to be exceptions. You're, how is he going to guard a, a point guard like Doncic? Well, guess what? Nobody's going to guard a point guard like Doncic. So <laughs> if you're looking for a Doncic stopper, uh, you're wasting your time. Um, there's, I got to go with the best available assets that are there. Um, I think that Fred would be a good fit. And I don't even want a player that's super dominant on offense because I just think that it could, it could really mess up the chemistry of this team. This team is working. They're third in the West. They've had injuries to Ingram. Um, if he was healthy, they, maybe they're the the one seed right now. So I, I just wanted a, a player that could fit seamlessly. When Fred Van Vliet was on that Raptors championship team, the backboard of him and Kyle were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I would say he was their fourth best player behind Kawhi, Siakam, Kyle, and Fred. And in this situation, I think he would also be the fourth best player. Um but when Fred's your fourth best player, I think you're in a good position. Wow. I definitely like that. Again, I figured you had some rationale there, and I like I like what I heard. Okay. Then, Anil, thank you so much for coming on. As I said to all our guests, I'm forever indebted to all of you for participating. I would love for you to – I know you probably won't make any more moves given you're right at the tax line, but, of course, offers always open for next year. I'm excited to have both of you – participating. I'm indebted to both of you. Again, you could follow Anil on Twitter at Anil Gagna NBA. Go visit notradeclause.com where he is the co-founder. And Anil, anything else you need to plug or want to plug? No, I just want to thank you guys for putting this together. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. Um, hopefully peace of people understand my rationale. So thank you guys for allowing yeah, me I'll to I'll let you know share. the feedback that we get. But <laughs> the man reveals himself at last. <laughs> A great one. See you guys. Thanks. Appreciate you. Thank you. And we are here with our fourth guest of the afternoon slash evening. We have David Williams from the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast, who obviously is uh, excuse me is obviously here with Corbin and I to talk about what he did as a participant, Memphis Grizzlies GM in the mock trade deadline exercise. So, David, first of all, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Doing well. That's awesome. uh, re- recovering from a cold, so I will mute periodically so I don't cough in your ear. But uh, other than that, doing great. <laughs> okay, awesome. So Corbin and I talked about it in last episode when we kind of did our mock trade deadline intro. And the two teams I said I was most interested at the deadline were the Pelicans and the Grizzlies for similar reasons. Because they're both contenders who could, in my opinion, have a legitimate shot to win the West. And they both have a ton of assets that 
at their disposal that they could really make an upgrade if they really want to push their chips in. As we know, in the sex size, the Pelicans did do that. We just had, you guys just listened to us, have a Neil Long who represented the Pelicans, and he made the trade for Fred Van Vliet that has been pretty controversial across Twitter the past few mm-hmm. days. So we heard his justification. Both Corbin and I agree his justification blew us away. Very sound, very logical, you know, um, outside of the box thinking there. <laughs> but David, for a team that I feel like could have done so much at the deadline, you know, some sometimes you don't need to over, oversimplify us or you don't have to complicate things. The Grizzlies were the two seed last year with the second best record in the NBA. They're tied for the one seed in the West this year. Same thing, tied for the second best record in the NBA. Instead of making a splash move like Neil did with the Pelicans, you did one simple move. That move was, we have Danny Green's salary on the books, and the Grizzlies at this point basically have that deal in order to move it for salary matching purposes. I mean, sure, he could be a resourceful, usable player when he comes back for the playoffs, but... He's 36 years old, coming off a torn ACL late into last season because he tore it in the playoffs. So that's the real reason you have Danny Green. So instead of, you know, really going for a huge, like, realistically, I would like the Grizzlies to go after, like, uh, OG and Obi. But in this exercise, he wasn't even available anyway. Who knows if he'll be available in the actual deadline? I'm just saying, like, an upgrade on the wing similar to that. Um, but anyway, nonetheless, you traded Danny Green, Xavier Tillman, and then two second-round picks, the 2024 second through Toronto and a 2025 second via the Pelicans to the Knicks. You got Isaiah Hardenstein and you got Cam Reddish. Both rotation mm-hmm. players, nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, though, again, Corbin and I said before we came on, we're going to be good cop, bad cop here. So <laughs> I'm just going to go a little deeper and say, sure, you did you did okay. I mean, I know you're going to spend your rationale, so I don't want to give it away. But yeah. are we sure Cam Reddish could even play? I mean, he's going to be on his third team already, and everyone's like, oh, Cam Reddish just Cam Reddish fast. So the dude the, fell out of real two rotations already. So, But out of those, ro- like the rotation, you can completely eliminate this Knicks rotation because everybody that is around basketball, everybody that knows Tom Thibodeau, knows that he is not known for developing mm. players. He, for heaven's sakes, Taj Gibson is 743 years old, and he was still getting rotation minutes over younger guys that needed to develop. So, yeah, there were some problems in Atlanta, and that's a little bit scary. But before they played a game in the NBA, a lot of the players in that draft class with Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Ja Morant, Zion Williamson – they thought that Cam Reddish was going to have the best NBA career out of that draft class. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think that that talent is gone. I took the gamble on getting Cam Reddish because of that upside. You know, he, he was a top 10 guy throughout high school. Like he was always near the top of his class. He ends up going to Atlanta and when they drafted him, that's the same year they go out and they add all of these veterans and they try to make a playoff push. It worked out. They get to the Eastern Conference final. If that's your goal, congratulations, you've done well. But I think that they really hindered 
his development because he didn't have the the minutes. Like they just were not there. They were playing to win. And so Nate McMillan was playing veterans over him because he was playing to win the games. And and rookies are going to make mistakes. Young guys are going to make mistakes. This Grizzlies coaching staff, they have shown like insane ability to develop guys. You look, they they trade for DeAnthony Melton. They bring him to Memphis. Melton does great things. They end up moving on from him. That wasn't something that I was happy about. But you see change in his game. Kyle Anderson, they work with him. They get his three-point shot looking better, and then he ends up having shoulder problems. But the one year where you saw the big breakout from Kyle Anderson, that was his coaching staff. He made more threes in one season than he has his entire career because of the development of this coaching staff. Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton don't have the floor that Cam Reddish does. They don't have the ceiling that Cam Reddish does. And so because of what I've seen, and, and I just mentioned a couple guys, we can go on all day about the what they've done with the other players on the Grizzlies. Because of what I've seen them do and what I think the potential upside of Cam Reddish is, that's why I made this move. This front office has always been very... Um, I don't cautious is not the right word, but they're not in a rush to push their chips in. You've not seen Zach Kleiman really make a massive splash. Like people were pissed when he traded JV, and they're like, Oh my god, why'd you do that? And then now they're like, JV, who because Steven Adams fits so well in what this offense does. And I, I, I don't think it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Grizzlies go through this trade deadline and don't move anybody because the value that Danny, Danny green brings to this team is the championship experience. That's something nobody on this roster has. He's been there. He knows what to do. And I see him more of like a Udonis Haslam type role on this Memphis Grizzlies team. I don't know where, uh, you know, Zach Kleiman values him overall, but I would be shocked if they made a move at the trade deadline and so for me, I was just looking at, okay, what are some things that they need to, to sure up? They need somebody that can score off of the bench. Cam Reddish can do that. He can do that already. He gets in there. He works with this coaching staff. They work on development. This offensive scheme would play very well into what he's able to do. So I thought that he would be a good fit. He's a wing with size. And while he's not been a great defender in the NBA, he has the link that he can be a serviceable defender. And with that size, that would be good enough. When you get into a, a playoff series, there are going to be times when Jaron Jackson gets in foul trouble and Steven Adams can't be out there at the end of the game because Steven Adams shoots 12% from the free throw line. So can you run Brandon Clark at the five? Go back last year and watch what the Golden State Warriors done to Brandon Clark when he was on the floor. They absolutely destroyed him in the pick and roll. They went straight at Brandon Clark. They're like, okay, whoever Brandon Clark is guarding, you're screening for the ball handler. And they were just raining threes all day. And they were great looks because Clark, he just was not able to do what you would you know, expect him to be able to do. And so you need another guy. You need another big, I think, to kind of secure the, the back end of this bench. Hartenstein brings you a lot of the things that Steven Adams can do. He's a good passer from the big man spot. 
He's a good screener. He rebounds well. And he, he's a better rim protector than Steven Adams. So if you got Jaron in foul trouble, you still have somebody that can be a rim protector. And so it was kind of a twofold thing. I, I like the upside on Reddish, and I would love to have a scorer off of the bench. And I like the kind of security that Hartenstein brings to the big man rotation. I like that. I was going to say, in terms of prioritizing when you went on this trade, who is the the key player you're really looking at? Because obviously both fill a need for you. You described how both would fit in. But obviously, you know, you came in looking for one, I imagine, and then if the other was available, you jumped on. Did you already have this package deal in mind? Kind of what was the thought process in terms of your target list? Um. So – Steven can tell you how many, like, I think, I feel like I pulled him into five or six different conversations mm -hmm. to attempt to make trades. I was looking for an upgrade on the wing. The Grizzlies, as constructed, I think that they are capable of making the Western Conference Finals. I don't think they have enough scoring off of the bench to win the championship this year. Do we see development from Zaire Williams? Does David Roddy figure it out, or is it Jake LaRavia? Like, does something happen internally, or do you have to go out and get somebody? So I wanted an upgrade at the wing because you need somebody that can play defense out there, and you need somebody that can knock down three. So I was looking at guys. I, I tried to – I made a run at Malik uh, Malik Beasley. Yeah, we got really close on Malik Beasley, and I think that had this not gone through, I probably would have pulled the trigger on a, on a deal for Malik Beasley. Uh, I tried to get Gary Trent Jr., and we were just kind of too far apart on that. He was looking for Zaire or Santi Aldama, and Gary Trent Jr. is going to be a rental. I'm not going to – I'm not going – the future of this team is bright. I'm not going to risk the future of the team to get a short-term rental, even if Gary Trent Jr. was the piece. There's no guarantee, right? Like, Gary Trent Jr. would be, like, a dream fit for this team, but there's no guarantee that he gets you to the, the championship. And so I wasn't willing to add Aldama or Zaire Williams to that trade to bring in a Gary Trent Jr., and then I had very brief discussion with the Hornets and didn't really get anywhere with that one. And well, that some of that was my fault because I didn't realize the injury to, to Kelly Oubre. Um, and then once I started looking at it, I'm like, crap, I'm not going to make this deal. So I just kind of folded out on that one. But uh, as far as like who I was targeting here, it's the wing. I, I have liked Cam Reddish and in the times – Game one of the season, New York played at Memphis, and Cam Reddish torched the Grizzlies. He was moving well without the ball, coming off screens, knocking down threes. He was getting downhill. He was doing everything that the Grizzlies need against the Grizzlies. And I feel like, given the right opportunity and the right coaching staff, that you can see a better version of Cam Reddish. Do we see, you know, does he ever make it to an all-star level? I don't know, but the Grizzlies don't need another all-star level player. They need somebody that can go out and get 15 points a game off of the bench and play decent defense. Mm. Okay, I see. That makes a lot of sense to me. I am very high on Cam Reddish as somebody who, you know, I, I'm, I don't represent this team, but if I were the Lakers, I'd be looking at someone there just for a wing-sized player who I do think has potential. And I'm also not high on Coach Tibbs' uh, potential of 
using youth. I think that he, if anything, drives down the trade value of these younger players because of how he treats them. You pointed out eloquently there, David, earlier. So I'm totally with you on that. I was just curious as to what you felt was the position need first. And I like that, that you go in looking for a wing and not only able to come and get a player that potentially fits that, definitely fits the timeline, but also, you know, you back up a position as well with another cable player who replicates that style of play. Um, I guess my last question would be uh, in terms of this trade, um, given Cam Reddish's financial situation, I think Hartenstein's in for a little bit. Do you have any plans on like, the long-term future of how that would work? Is this more like a flyer and just see what happens? Yeah. So, you know, my, Obviously, the hope would be that Reddish comes over to the Grizzlies. He gets to work with his coaching staff, and you see what you want to see from him. You you see some positives from him. Well, then then he's got to sign. I I would imagine his age is going to get him a contract, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be more of a prove it deal. Like it's not going to be a big contract because even though he's he's had flashes, he hasn't. That he hasn't proven anything. And so wherever he goes, somebody may offer him a little bit more. But if you're looking at it, it's like, okay, I can play rotation minutes on a playoff team and take a contract, like a prove-it contract, and maybe the Grizzlies sign him for two years on a prove-it deal. And then, you know, who knows what happens from there. He goes out and, and plays up to his capability, and either they, they move him before the, the contract expires or he's the piece that they need to push him over the top to get a championship, in which case this trade was fantastic and done everything that I wanted it to do. Well, gotcha. Cam Reddish is restricted. So theoretically, you're talking about this whatever prove-it deal, few million dollars that he would probably get. Maybe he gets more, as you said, because of his age. But you could match whatever, and Memphis isn't even close to the tax. So let's say he gets offered, I don't know, 3 for 18 maybe? Maybe a little bit shorter because he, again, prove-it deals tend to be shorter so he can get back on the market sooner. So let's say 2 for 12. You could match that, keep him back for $6 million a year next year and the following year. Or, quite frankly, you could sign and trade him because there's not that many competing teams that have cap space. So, sure, maybe a rebuilding team would take a flyer on him, and then at that point, you really can't do a sign and trade. But again, you have the capabilities of matching with a restricted. So that's the good thing about always trading for a former first-round pick that's coming off the rookie deal because you get the restricted rights. So, yeah, David, I I like how you approached it. You killed two birds with one stone, for lack of a better term. There it is. Yep. And... Yeah, I mean, I think the Grizzlies might do something splashier, but again, you are, that's just me from the front office aspect. It would make sense for them to, but obviously you're a lot more plugged into the team than I am, so maybe they don't, but either way, um, definitely. I, I don't think you, I think you said you're not going to be doing too many more moves at this point, correct? Uh, I mean, I, I'm happy to to talk to people, but of course. after this trade, like I, I feel like the roster is in a really good spot. And so, you know, I don't know that there's anybody else on this roster that I would really want to move. Um, I've had some people reach out to me about Tyus Jones, and I think that his value is uh, it's more to the Grizzlies than what it would be to any other team. Interesting. So it, you know, it, it would take a it would take an overpay in order for me to move off of him. I really like uh, Kennedy Chandler. I'd said during the draft season, if Tyus walked. I would be fine if Kennedy Chandler was a replacement because I feel like Kennedy Chandler plays smart basketball and he could be a great backup point guard. The thing that he can't do is when John Moran is out, 
you see Tyus Jones going. He's dropping 20, 24, 25 points a game. He's orchestrating the offense, and he's showing that he can be a one guard. Um, I don't think that Kennedy Chandler is going to do that his rookie season, but I think the faith in Kennedy Chandler is kind of shown based off of uh, what they gave uh, Tyus Jones. You know, they gave Tyus Jones kind of that short deal. Some of that was obviously cap space, but I think that my guess is that they would they would like to develop Kennedy Chandler as their backup and then either move Tyus or let Tyus go to a, you know, wherever he wants to go moving forward. Because I, I think that there are still places in the NBA where Tyus can go and, and be a starting point guard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his assist to turnover ratio has always been spectacular throughout his career. The guy can make shots. You know, he runs the floor of a, a team very well on the floor. You see the way the Grizzlies play without Ja, which obviously they're better with Ja, but the record without just shows how capable, you know, Tyus is there. Um, I mean, listen, you want an overpay out Kyrie for Ja straight up. Let's just get this deal done. <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. Not in a million years, but you know, I've had, I've, I've said to myself, I was going to throw at least one ridiculous trade offer out to at least every guest. I think I got two out of the four we talked through today. So that works out for me. <laughs> you got somebody to buy it on craziness. Oh, you know, what's funny. I, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to reveal it to both of y'all real quick since it's not going to happen. Uh, although I might make a deal with this person. So hopefully it all works out well, but I was very close to acquiring Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray's been available, which has been Keegan, surprising. For Royce O'Neal. Oi. Straight up. Oi. And now, mind you, I will say this. To give him credit, he took a day to think about it and said, absolutely. Actually, I don't know what I was thinking when I brought that up. But he, I was like. He's offered Keegan to multiple teams, and I kind of had to mess with him. Like, okay, come on. They just use a fourth pick on him. Like, I know. I said, I said, listen, I love Royce O'Neal. He'd be helpful. But Keegan for the future, like, who, who, for Brooklyn? Like, okay. No need to trade for Kyle Kuzma if we can get a forward like that who's like 22. So it's hilarious. I mean, you never know. And sometimes, I mean, I like that kind of crazy aspect. We were talking about this before, Stephen, because for every trade that you want to go realistic, there always is that one or two trades that are just way on left field. Now, that would never happen, but then we thought the same thing for Tyrese Halliburton Halliburton, or DeMontis Sabonis. So, yeah, so there you go, exactly. Never in a million years you have thought the Kings were going to move off Tyrese Halliburton, and then they did. Never in a million years I think Rudy Gobert was going to be worth four unprotected picks plus a guy who was just drafted in the first round plus all this other crap on top. Like, there's just, there's, that's yep. why when I, I know we just had a Neil along and we talked about all the hate that I've been getting and a Neil will be getting on Twitter because everyone's like, oh, they will move Dyson Daniels, blah, blah, blah. If real life NBA GMs are wanting to pull the trigger on some of these ridiculous trades, then it's not so far. Like, as we said in episode one, last year we traded, we had a Pascal Siakam trade happen. We had a Fred Van Vliet trade happen and everyone thought we were crazy. And now we're a year later and those things we'll are throw on the block potentially. Up. Yeah. So it's, you never know. You, I always go back to the, uh, Kyle Kuzma, KCP and, uh, who who was it? Yeah. Yeah. It's for all year long, Lakers fans and Lakers were, Oh, they're going to move these three for a superstar. They're going to move these. And it's like, it's not going to happen. Those guys are not going to net you a star. And then the trade that they made, it didn't work out. Right. Because the fit, Russ is not a shooter. He just doesn't fit well with that squad. But 
if you had said before that trade happened, they're going to send Kuzma, KCP, and Harold, and they're going to they're going to net Russ Westbrook. Everybody would have told you you're out of your mind. That's true but, as well. You know, like stuff like this does happen. Mm-hmm. Now, are, are the Kings going to move Keegan Murray? I find that like extremely unlikely. Yeah. I, I don't, and especially not for a Royce O'Neal. But you know, you, you got to shoot your shot. You never know. And and maybe like, I, I was talking to one of my buddies, and he's like, "Why did you do uh, two seconds there instead of just like offering?" Danny Green and, and X. And I was like, well, the, the contract for Hartenstein is tradable. Mm. And so I, I wanted to give some value there because Danny Green and X for Hartenstein and Cam Reddish, it's just not enough. And so I added the second second thinking that he would counter with something different, but he jumped right on it. And I'm like, sweet. I'm cool with it. Like yeah. I, I we, we don't have to talk about anything else, but I, I just thought the, the Hartenstein contract was enough to add the picks to that. So there you go. And that's the way it sometimes it goes, you know? Okay. Then this concludes episode two of the mock trade deadline preview. Everything, as I told you guys, well, it's going to be its own section on the site where you could click on sportsethos.com mock trade deadline. And then you could click on the team to see who the, tra- who the team's negotiating for. Who, what trades a team has made? It, it'll be very inclusive. I promise. I won't let you guys down on that aspect. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we have had four guests on today. All come on to rationalize trades they've made. Corbin and I will be releasing part three of this sometime next week, where we'll have four more guests on. Mm-hmm. So, David, let's start with you. Where can everybody find you? Sure. So uh, I cover the Grizzlies for Sports Ethos. You can get that show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies, and I am at NBA Dwill Two One. All on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, nowhere else. Horrible Grizzly takes, but great guy. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, before to. we go, Stephen, like you, you, I feel like you were holding back on this trade. So, I would, like, what's your honest opinion on this deal? And and I know you you. From the front office side of it, you feel like the Grizzlies have the tools to make a bigger trade. But if they just made a fringe move like this, would it would it be like are you disappointed with this move? It's not that I'm disappointed. It's just more so you know when you have higher expectations and then just mm-hmm. something okay happens, you're like, Okay, yeah, I'm 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 not disappointed, but I was just expecting more. I think that's what it's comparable to. The fact that the Grizzlies do have an opportunity to really be splashy and really push those chips in. But, you know, I'm not going to fault you for not doing that. So, no, but I think once you rationalize it to me, like, think about it. Steven Adams got played off the floor last year in the playoffs. Brandon Clark got eaten alive. Like, okay, you got the big man. I just, Corbin and I have discussed it on multiple pods where, and I I sound like a broken record to my listeners at this point, there's no such thing more important in the NBA in today's game than wing depth. And while you did kill two birds with one stone, like I said, Cam Reddish needs to prove to me that, you know, he's legitimate wing depth on a title contender. And as we said, Memphis is probably the best player development situation in the NBA. So if Cam Reddish can't figure it out on Memphis, I, I don't know if he will. That, that's I my, agree. So, <laughs> so that, that, that's my assessment of it is that wing depth is just so important. 
And the trade, to me, I know you're higher in edge than I am, was more center-focused. Which is fine, because Hardenstein could very well win you a playoff game or two. When it matters. And that's... If you look at what Zaire Williams has done this year, you know, he hasn't played much and he's not really looked very good, mm. but I, I still think that there is a lot of upside there from him as well. And that's something I think a lot of Grizzlies fans are holding on to. They're like that, you know, they've got to go out and make this move. They've got to make this move. And it's like, man, they're first place in the West right now. And we have not, even seen the best version of Zaire Williams. He, he's not even flashed what he was doing at the end of last season yet. You know, I, the last time I looked, he was shooting something like 13% from three. He, he's not going to do that. He's going to shoot better than that from three. And so, you know, you're looking, I think that they said he measured like 6'10 coming into the season. So a 6'10 wing that can handle the ball and he can shoot better than 13%. So I, I think that there is a strong possibility that the Grizzlies have enough on this roster to make that run. It's it's just people have to develop, and there's still plenty of basketball left in order for that to happen. And for me, I, I won't be severely disappointed if they don't make a move at the trade deadline, but I know a lot of people that will be. Okay, Corbin. Again, this is going on your feet as well. Promote whatever you want to promote. Lay it on all listeners. Appreciate it, y'all. Thank you so much, Stephen, again. Thanks, for David, for joining. Listen, y'all can find me, if you're so inclined, on Twitter, at CorbinMBA. Uh, once again, as we always say across all of our shows, check out Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, online, sportsethos.com. They have everything, basketball, football, baseball, disc golf. like Disc golf. Disc golf. You want it, they have it, so check them out one more time on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, online, sportsethos.com. But... I mean, that's all I got on my end. I'm going to let you close, Steven. You, I closed on ours. You close on this one. That's how we cross over. Okay. You guys can find me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. You guys can email me, BirdRightsPod at gmail.com. Okay. I said on our last episode when Corbin was hyping up what we called the mock trade deadline primer slash manifesto. Yes. I've gotten some emails and some Twitter DMs asking people to, you know, for me send to send that good stuff them. over. So mm-hmm. anyone who wants to look at it, it's 120 page, all inclusive. Everything you need to know about the trade deadline, whatever move you think teams, whatever team could make, will make, should make based off salary, it's all in there. So anybody who's interested in that, either DM me, tweet at me, email me. I'll be glad to send it over. Corbin and I are getting copies made of it from Barnes & Noble Primer. Barnes & Noble, not a sponsor of the Bird Rights Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to be having hard copies of it to have for future years. Yeah. So Very thank you, gentlemen. This. Thank you to everyone who's previously been on. I know I already thanked you guys earlier today. And thanks to all the participants that have already, you know, been a part of the exercise. Obviously, it's not just me. It's myself and 29 other people that were willing to take their free time and spare time to do an exercise like this. And shout out to Dane, Drew, Steven, Panda, the whole Sports Ethos team. For giving me a platform to be able to do this, being able to, you know, get a whole page of the site dedicated to this, because as a lot of you know, I've worked my ass off for to put this all together. So I, I yep. definitely appreciate people recognizing it. So again, you guys could follow all three of us. I highly recommend you do. Actually, all 30 of us. I'm going to release everyone's handles on Twitter in the coming days so you can see everyone who's participating in this. And otherwise, I will talk 
Corbin and I will talk to both Valmar Ramble listeners, Bird Rights listeners next week with four more new guests. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next week.